This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to I'll Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being here today. Today, you're listening to episode 281, and I'm talking with Sarah Hall. Sarah is a professional distance runner for ASICS. She is the mother of four, married to Ryan Hall, who is her coach. She debuted the marathon in 2015, and it has been super fun to watch her career and all the success she's had. If you are a fan of marathoning, you may be heard that she placed second at the London Marathon recently in a time of 2.22.01. She outkicked world champion Ruth Chepnagetic to lock in that second place finish at the London Marathon, which was a just whole different kind of marathon this year. She placed second behind Bridget Cosguy, who is the world record holder in the marathon, a 214 marathoner. So to say Sarah placed second in a stacked field would be an understatement. And we get to hear all about the race breakdown, how she felt during the race, and what that process looked like racing in the conditions. The weather wasn't great, as well as being at a world marathon major with no spectators and in this strange environment this year in 2020. What I love about Sarah is her resilience and her tenacity, her grace, her grit. Um, Sarah kind of puts it all out there and we've seen her have some pretty major ups and pretty major downs in this sport and to see her come get this second place finish at London off a disappointment at the Olympic marathon trials was just so amazing to see. And I can't wait to see all that is in store for Sarah. She recently signed up for the marathon project happening in Phoenix this December. So it'll be exciting to see what she can do coming off this stellar performance in London. Hey, if you don't know Sarah's story and you want to learn more about Sarah, I've got quite a few episodes with her on the podcast. This is actually her fifth time on my show. So head back. She was episode 11, one of the very first pros I ever interviewed. Um, I also did a bonus episode for her after she won CIM in 2000. When was that? 2017. So that's kind of back in the archives. She was back on again, episode 174 in April of 2019, where she talked about her Boston Marathon preparation. And then she was on the show again, November 8th, uh, on a live episode in New York City with Roberta Groner and Kellen Taylor. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Prevenex. And if you haven't tried them out yet, I do not know what you're waiting for. This is where I get all of my vitamins and supplements, vitamins for my kids. And let me tell you, we use their protein powder every single day. I'm not even kidding. What I love is that I make it in a smoothie for my kids and I put all kinds of other good stuff in it too, fruits and vegetables. And I just feel like I am sending them off to school with good nutrition in their bodies. If that's the only really healthy meal they have all day, I at least feel good about that. If you are wanting to have longevity in the sport of running, their Joint Health Plus supplement is 
something I recommend to all runners. It is clinically proven to protect your joints, and it is also clinically proven to reduce joint pain and stiffness and improve that flexibility in your joints within seven to 10 days. When you go to Prevenex.com, you can use the code ANOTHER and get 15% off your order with them. Again, that's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER to get 15% off your order. All right, friends, enjoy my conversation with Sarah Hall. All right, everybody, so excited to bring Sarah Hall back on the podcast to hear a little bit about her recent race in London. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Where are you? How are you? What does your life look like? I am in home in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I'm doing really well. Um, I am really happy about the race, so that helps. <laughs> and just enjoying my family, and uh, they're on fall break right now. And um, just recovering and, and back training now, thankfully, so feeling pretty good. Oh my gosh, back training already. Are, are your girls like back in school in person, or are you doing halfway or home at all? They are not. They're um, online learning through the school. So um, thankfully, they school kind of had it more dialed uh, than when it was sprung on them in the spring. And mm-hmm. so it doesn't require a ton from me um, as it did in the in the end of last year. But um, but yeah, they're, they're like used to it now and kind of rolling with it, although it's not ideal. Yeah, we did virtual at the beginning, but we just went back two weeks ago and it has been very nice to have everybody out of the house. I bet. Oh, man, that's great. I'm hoping we get there soon. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I'm curious before we jump into London about that then because, I mean, just coming off the trials and probably feeling pretty sad about that and disappointed and then being sprung straight into COVID with doing online learning with the girls and everything, what did your world feel like? Yeah. Um, you know, that was definitely a rough season. Um, I think it it was still like just finding the joy and in the season, um, was, was kind of the focus. And I think I was able to, but it wasn't without challenge. And I think, um, yeah, it was a lot all at once, like the trials just going completely the opposite of how I thought it would go. And then, um, but then telling myself like, all right, I I can use all this fitness towards the track trials or towards, Mm -hmm. Um, other races and then all of those just canceled 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 and and like it'd be nice if it was just all at once you know but it was like a rolling mm-hmm. like the disappointment of like okay I'll focus on this and then that gets canceled and then you just keep kind of having hope that gets crushed and and then yeah the kids home um, indefinitely after pretty soon after the trials um, which was definitely felt different for Ryan and I like we're, we're kind of enjoy having our alone time during the day. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, and I think I would have enjoyed it more if it like we could have traveled and, Mm -hmm. and done some of the things I I like to do when I'm not racing, but you, that was like the one time you couldn't travel, like the one time you can't really do anything. And so, um, so it was kind of a combination, like perfect storm of all these challenging factors, but, um, I really just tried to focus on enjoying today and like, enjoying the like I love to train hard so even though I didn't know when I could race next like enjoying the process of training and um and trying to enjoy my kids the best I could whether that's like bringing out the we that we had mm-hmm. like hidden mm-hmm. from them 
um, <laughs> their entire lives with us <laughs> and and been like, all right, COVID, COVID wins. We're, we're bringing out the Wii and doing Just Dance and things like that. Um, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I haven't done Just Dance in so long. It's so fun. <laughs> it is really fun. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty much the only thing we play. Um, I always feel like as a mom, when I walk through something hard in my own life, like sometimes I get extra frustrated with my kids because I'm like, I'm trying to focus on being upset here, you know, and in the grand scheme of things, like it's a really good thing because it's a really healthy distraction. And at the end of the day, you're a mom and you have to take care of your kids. Do you think that that distraction, I don't know if distraction's the right word, but do you think that having them home helped with repairing your heart and everything from the disappointment of the trials? Um, not really, honestly, like, I think, I mean, it helped, we had puppies at the time, and that was really fun, like, just like a little burst of joy, but, um, but no, I think, um, in some ways, it just kind of made things harder in a way, because it was like, just, uh, yeah, just kind of like not really having any space to, Uh um, like, yeah, just process or kind of, yeah, so, um, but yeah, I think we're finding our groove with it now and, and we're all used to it now. So it's it's better. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that too. It's like, it's like a, sometimes it's the best thing ever. And sometimes it does make everything so much harder. Okay. So let's get to the half marathon and then get to London. The 6818 that you ran so fast in Eugene. Um, yeah. Share with us a little bit about your training to that and like were your sights already set on a fall marathon when you ran the 68 yeah so um I started officially training for a marathon I think it was like in early um July and uh and I that was yeah before the half and um we'd been in touch with Ian Dobson at the Eugene Marathon um for I guess since like April or May or so where he was like, Hey, like if you want to have something for sure on the schedule, like we could, we could put something together here. And I was so grateful for that. I think that really kept me, um, at least positive that there would be like something, even if it was just kind of like a a time trial situation that I would have on my schedule. Um, but, but yeah, the focus was definitely the marathon and started, started the build up in July after doing some like shorter training um, like kind of 10 K specific training as I look ahead towards running the trials, mm-hmm. um, track trials next year. And, um, and yeah, and that, so the half marathon was, I was already pretty, pretty tired from the, the marathon training. I, I actually like, that was kind of the peak of my tiredness. Cause I, I felt like I'd been just intrinsically motivating for a really long time. And just like a lot of people, I think just mm-hmm. struggling with motivation at times and, um, and just, feeling like the toll that like I was training hard that whole time. And like, but that was, that took a lot of like me motivating myself on a daily basis without like the excitement of races kind of along the way and stuff. And so, um, I felt kind of like mentally, physically, like almost like thoughts of burnout, which, which are really unusual for me. I I hadn't really ever felt that since Mm. 2013 in, in my career. Um, so yeah, so I would say like training went well, but it was, it was like, like, uh, I would say just like more draining than usual to, to produce it. Wow. That you hadn't felt like that since 2013. Um, that, I mean, that had to be a lot of just 
the burden of COVID and everything, just the way of the world and that like just kind of piled up on you too, just like it piled up on everybody else. Totally. Yeah. I like talking to my friends that are in different fields too. Like they're like, I'm feeling burned out too. And you know, and it's, it's like, we're all working at home or like different scenarios. And it's just, and also just the uncertainty of like what we're walking through in the pandemic and just the sad stories you're hearing Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. And, you know, it's kind of the combo of all of that, that, it does take its toll on us, I think, more than you realize. Okay, so I guess the question with that then is, how did you turn that burnout into such great training leading up to London? I heard you and Ryan talking on his podcast that you were really in the best shape of your life when you towed that line. Yeah, um, I think that's what kept me going, like, to stay motivated to train is I've just seen a lot of growth in my training from build up to build up, like each marathon build up I've done, I've, I've gotten a little bit faster in my tempos and a little bit faster in my long runs. And, um, and so I'm like, you know what, the, the training I do matters. Like, even if I don't get a race at the end mm-hmm. of it, like, and I just have to do another like treadmill race, like I did <laughs> in, in uh, June or whenever that was like, even if throwing a marathon on a treadmill, like just the training is going to benefit me for the next time I do a build up. And so Um, so yeah, I think that's, what's kind of kept me highly motivated right now, especially just at my age. Like I want to keep seeing my potential in this event realized and, and I want to keep improving while I can right now. And so, um, so yeah, thankfully I I did have, um, my, my trials build up, I would say is better, was better than Berlin. And then this one was even better than the trials. And so, um, I felt really thankful and that, and that kept me motivated. It's, It's fun to run faster than you ever have. And, mm. and yeah, that kept me encouraged. So you, you PR'd London. Do you think knowing that you were chasing, um, second place on that last lap helped you? Cause what was the PR by? Like, was it 15 seconds or 20 seconds? I, I think it was about 15 seconds. Yeah. Okay. Do you think that last kick on that last lap? I mean, was it, was it even a question at that point if you were going to hit the PR? Yeah, honestly, I hadn't really even been paying attention to the clock. Um, at, yeah. Once I started catching girls, I had actually thrown off my watch to Ryan at mile 10 um, because it was really <laughs> off. And, and actually, everyone's was um, across different brands and like different watches. Like everyone was showing running faster than the marks were saying. And so um, I don't know if it's just like where that place is or like, yeah, I'm not sure. But um but mine was showing me running quite a bit faster than the marks. And so I, I was like, this isn't helping me at all. And I threw it. To- so yeah, it was, uh, I, I'm, I was not actually, um, thinking about PRing at that point. I knew going through halfway in one ten twenty five. that's like two twenty high pace. Um, that like, I, hopefully I, I could PR, but, um, but the conditions weren't great. And, and just running the whole race on my, my own, I had just, I was just kind of focused on getting the most out of myself on the day and competing. Yeah. You mentioned, um, that there, you know, it was such a stacked field going into the race yet. It was still your goal to make the podium. But, um, as you run the race and, you know, you were pretty far back from those top three women, how are, how are you staying internally motivated in the weather running by yourself um, knowing that there's so many women that you have to pick off to get to that podium. You know, it was kind of taking it a lot at the time. Like it was definitely, it was really quiet out there because there's no spectators allowed. 
and then there was no like music or like any sound like it was like the echoing of your footsteps is like what you were hearing and that's kind of that's not really how mm. I I run my best um and I was I was kind of worried about that going into the race I was like first of all never run a marathon on a 20 loop like tiny mile loop course and then to also have you new know, spectators and stuff like just mentally I, I wasn't sure but I think I just I felt really good out there I felt really strong and um I could tell that I was running within myself and so I kind of just kept um like running the mile I'm in is kind of the title of Ryan's book run the mile mm-hmm. you're in mm-hmm. but um just focusing on that moment and and telling myself they would come back to me eventually and um when I did start to feel sorry for myself I I would just try to shift to like you are so blessed to do a race right now like no one is getting to race and and who would have thought you'd be able to do like a world marathon major right now? So just shifting to gratitude. And I think that really kept me like moving forward versus uh, when you start to feel sorry for yourself and, and kind of spiral the other way. Yeah. Can you share with everybody um, the situation with the Pacers? What was going on with that? Yeah. Um, so there originally was going to be a pacer for the women's only world record, which is like 216, I think. And then uh, a second group pacer for like 218 to 219, uh, 218 mid to 219 flat. And so I was planning to go with that second pacer because the next one was not um, not going to go faster than 222 flat pace, which is, I mean, in the end what I ran, but, um, but like not knowing the conditions, like before the race, um, that, that was going to definitely be aggressive for me to go with Mm -hmm. that second group. But I was hoping that there would be girls that, um, that wouldn't want to run like 218 the entire time. And, um, maybe we could work together. And so that seemed kind of like the best route for me. Um, but then I thought there was a good chance all those girls would try to go with Bridget and that's what they did. And in fact, which I thought maybe, Bridget would would slow down and and they would go more conservative with the conditions but they actually did run they were on 217 pace for a while and stuff so um so I think you know in women's only starts you have to kind of be ready for anything and it's it's about competing and race instincts and trusting yourself that you'll make the right decisions out there because you don't really know how the race is going to play out and so that's I tried to just kind of have an open mind on the starting line and I'm glad I did because it, it did play out differently than I thought it would. Yeah, you had to you have to make like game time decisions throughout the whole whole race. And um, I'm I'm curious when what mile did you start picking off people? Yeah, it was I think it was after halfway. I'm I'm trying to remember maybe like 25k. Okay, but um, but yeah, back to your question about the pacers. I forgot to mention. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Somehow, yeah. Somehow that second group pacer. That was supposed to, that maybe I could have worked with now since all the girls in the second group ended up going with the lead group. She ended up really struggling like four miles into the race and she was going with the lead group and then kind of went backwards at mile four. And so, um, so I was like, Oh no, like that, I think that was kind of the realization that like, all right, you're really on your own now. because like, she's, she's not gonna be able to help. And the other girls are, are going hard. And, um, and so, yeah, I was really on my own from there until um, maybe 25K when I started to get a visual of, of some of the girls coming back. Yeah, I can't imagine how lonely that must have felt and to stay so driven. Um, 
Yeah, I think it was, was it Molly or somebody else had a pacer, must have been a pacer with the next group back that stayed on really long. Yeah, um, uh, Ailish McColgan, who I know because she's another A6 athlete, I think she um, she stuck with Molly through 17 and a half or so. Um, and so, yeah, that was a, a good little group they had going. I, another girl from Portugal or something. And and then um, the Australian um, Sinead was up there. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. I forgot that she ran that race. I because I interviewed her. It must have been after New York last year. Yeah, um, uh-huh. yeah. Okay, so I, I'm. I want to share with everybody like the communication between you and Ryan as well because I'm just so fascinated hearing about this in the podcast. Like he sees you look at him, but you don't. He doesn't really know what's going on. And you don't really know what's going on with your pace. And um, yeah, at what what point? Because at one point he said in the podcast, he said he didn't know what you were doing. You gave him this look like uh, and he was like, "Uh oh, yeah. Yeah, I think um, we, we originally talked with, with since I was going with that really aggressive group, like he was like, we'll feel it out when you're out there. And like if it feels too hot, like you can always drop back and like maybe there'll be people to like work with um, in this in the next group or um, but. I was kind of feeling it out looking at him like or just trying to get feedback because yeah um because yeah I was just I was all alone and stuff but but he was um he was kind of assessing it and he's like well she still looks really strong like and I'm glad that he didn't tell me to do anything differently but um but definitely I think having him every lap helped because especially once I started getting the girls started coming back he would tell me like how many seconds I had down on them and um and that just helped keep me engaged a little more. Yeah. Okay. And so we've all watched the the video. Like I probably watched it twenty times. Is that weird? Is that creepy to hear random, <laughs> random people say that to you? A lot of people have told me that. <laughs> You're it, not alone. You know, it's so it's emotional to watch because you see it in your face. And also, I I think anybody who's been following marathoning for a while, like has been following your career. So if you know anything about the sport, you know, we know what happened at the trials and how much heartbreak that probably was for you to, so, so to see that redemption, um, on so many different levels was just so cool. So I can't imagine being the person that actually experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, you know, I've tried to like share my journey in a way that's like, sharing I think it's easier to share the lows for myself sometimes than the highs mm-hmm. but um, mm-hmm. I think like definitely shared a lot about the disappointment with the trials and like and just even like my struggles with motivation or things throughout the year and um and so I think that yeah I I, I think my career in some ways is relatable to people because mm-hmm. I don't like crush it every single time like totally. I've had these like pretty big disappointments and that's that's like being human and, and probably what a lot of us experience. So then to then have kind of your biggest moment after your biggest disappointment, I think I, I was really hoping I could do something inspiring through this race. Cause I was like, everyone is struggling with motivation right now. And mm-hmm. like, like everyone could use like a boost of inspiration and stuff. And, but it's something you just can't really like manufacture, you know, and um, you just have to like run your best race and hope you kind of have that opportunity. And I, I feel really blessed that, like my race could be an encouragement and to people right now during this tough time. 
I mean, it's so true when if you get on social media on Twitter or anything like that and you just see bad news, bad news, bad news, and to see everybody celebrating this victory, um, to see everyone celebrating with you, it's like it takes your mind off off anything else negative going on for even if it's for five minutes. Um, Share with us what was like actually going through your mind. I loved when you and Ryan talked about that excitement piece of the race. So like when I think it was him that was saying this, like you run your whole race and then you get to the point where like the, you know, you gotta, you gotta gut it out. You gotta go through all the hard stuff, but then the excitement comes like, can I win? Can I get second? Can I get third? Can I PR? Whatever that is for anybody. So when did that feeling really hit you? Yeah, it really was when I moved into fifth. Um, and then I was like, man, like, like the way, like I'm moving, I think, I think the podium really is possible. And, and, you know, that was like my goal and a dream for this race. But at the same time on paper, like mm-hmm. I was not ranked to do that. And, um, it was definitely going to have like need my, myself having my very best day. And, um, and so I think to, that really gave me as I was hunting down and moved into fourth. And then when I, when I moved into third, like I got a little bit emotional, mm-hmm. um, and just like, got this really big boost because um because I felt really strong still at that point and so honestly I wasn't even really thinking of second like I couldn't even see her I think that was kind of the downside of the small loop is that like you really couldn't get a visual even if you were you know 400 meters behind someone you you can't see them still really and so um so yeah thankfully Ryan uh although it was kind of like good and bad he was like you have 40 seconds on her. Um, and, uh, and that was like one lap to go like 1.3 miles. And I was like, Oh man, that's actually sounds like a lot, but like, I kind of just in faith, like started like willing everything forward and, and, um, and just going for it anyways. And, and so, and I could tell actually that I was gaining on her and like, just tried to like keep that momentum going, keep that like hunting, the hunting instincts going. And, um, I'm really glad I chose to like believe for it because you're definitely hurting at that point in the race. And, and you're kind of like, Oh, 40 seconds. Like that's not going to happen. Like it would be easy to kind of settle, but, um, but yeah, that, that was really kind of surreal to move into second, honestly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because you round the bent, you round that like corner and then you pass her. But when you rounded the corner, so you knew you started that lap, you had 40 seconds to go and you could tell that you were gaining on her. But like when you actually rounded that corner to pass her, did you know how close you were? Cause we can't tell like where, where you were before that corner. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, coming up to the last corner, she still looked really far away to me. Um, and so then she turns the corner and then you, you're kind of like lose your visual. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, you're, you're just like, more back in your own head and like driving. And and then I came off the last turn and like, I, I could see that I'd even gained a lot in that, that stretch. And so that really like, once you can like see her in the finish, I feel like you mm-hmm. can really like unleash everything. And, <laughs> um, and so that helped a lot. And, um, but yeah, it still, it still felt like just a surreal kind of imposter syndrome moment where you're like, that's the world champion. Like, I can't believe yeah. I'm like overtaking her. And, um, but, but yeah, it's such a fun rush when you're, 
finishing in the sprint finish like that I've had I've had a fair amount in my career and it's it's always like a really memorable way to run the race and um you don't you don't always want it to be that close at the end I was definitely <laughs> not that was not the intention but um but yeah it was fun it's crazy. You had the podium locked in and to be able to kick it into that gear. Um, I'm sure though, competing at your level, that's what you do. Do you know what your, I mean, you wouldn't know because you didn't have your watch, but do you have any idea what your <laughs> last mile split was? It had to be your fastest mile, right? Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm sure the info is somewhere, but I haven't seen it. Oh my gosh. It has to be so speedy. All right, everybody. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Sarah. A quick break here to encourage you all to go check out my brand new podcast, Why Is Everyone Yelling? As the mom of four myself, I find myself saying that quite a bit most days of the week. And I have had this passion that I wanted to start a podcast for parents where they can feel encouraged and motivated in some way, big or small. And I thought about it for a really long time and I'm finally doing it and I'm really excited about it. So we've got five episodes out already. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Some of them will be more serious than others, but my hope is that you will always walk away with something big or small that you can apply to your own life. Having a lot of fun over there and I really hope you'll join us. And uh, give us a follow on Instagram. Why is everyone yelling? And leave us a rating and review if you do enjoy it. That is going to help new listeners find the show. Um, yeah, it is hard and weird to venture on to something new and put something different out into the world. But I'm really excited about this project. I'm proud of it. And I feel certain that it will be something positive that people can incorporate into their lives every single week. And if you've checked it out already, thank you. I appreciate you. I just thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of my conversation with Sarah Hall. And talking about that imposter syndrome, I think that that's also um, something that's really relatable to everybody because there are so many things in life that we do where we feel like, do I really belong here? Um, and I'm curious when you walk into a race like that, how do you let yourself believe even when you feel like it might be far away that you belong and that you, you can podium? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's kind of a tension of like, yeah, being real with where you're at and then also believing like, um, anything can happen in a race. You know, I think mm -hmm. we've seen that with the Americans winning some majors recently and, it's, it kind of just takes like preparation meeting opportunity, you know? And, um, I think anytime I've run like a world marathon major, like you look at the list and it's like, mm -hmm. like 20 sub two, two twenty girls. <laughs> and like, and you're just like, Oh my gosh, like, am I even going to like get in the top 20 in this race? You know, but, um, but that's just not how it always plays out in the end, you know? Um, whether it's like people didn't have a, you know, they had an interrupted buildup or they just, didn't have their best day or whatever it is. Um, that's just, I've, I've just learned to like not psych yourself out by the field and just to, um, just to focus on your race and like how to maximize your, how you're going to run best amongst everyone. Um, which can be tricky. Cause like, I feel like I'm really a competitor and I'm always going to run better running with people. Um, but you can't always do that. Like in this case in London, like 
the pace that made sense for me was just like in complete no man's land. And um, if I had dropped back or if I'd gone with that top group, like I probably wouldn't have finished as high as I did in either of those scenarios. So it's kind of that balance of like, yeah, trying to work with people, but also like running your own race. Did you talk with Bridget or Ruth after the race? Just a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they were, um, we, we didn't have a lot of time. We were kind of being ushered around. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it was weird too with masks and everything and like making sure everybody had to keep a distance from each other. Yes. Yeah. That was definitely a goal throughout the whole weekend. It wasn't the most social race <laughs> period. Yeah. Did it feel, what did it feel like celebrating? Did it, I mean, cause it doesn't feel like the end of the London marathon or the New York city marathon or the Boston marathon in, in normal years. So how did you, how did you handle that actual experience? Yeah, it's a little different than you envision, like, um, being on the podium and stuff like you don't envision kind of having a mask on or like being really far away from everyone. Or, you know, you picture like the, the photos with the, I don't know, just how, how it usually unfolds. But, um, but yeah, I think as, as much as COVID kind of made made for some interesting things of the race like I think it almost for me it it's like even more memorable I think because of like all that I had to fight through with the the pandemic year to get to that point um to me it's it's like yeah just that much sweeter I guess so Berlin last year you had an amazing race but do you think that this was your most perfect race yeah, I mean, I don't think I could have really, like, executed this race better than I did. And so I'm proud of that, I guess, because um, it was just a lot of, like, just not my strengths. And to be able to still run to your potential in that situation, like, I, I feel, I think it's probably the mo- race I'm, like, most proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'm hopeful that... Um, you know, I think Berlin had its own like specialness because like I hadn't had a healthy marathon buildup in over two years and I hadn't really seen like those years of work kind of realized. Mm -hmm. And so like, it was that big jump where I got to see that. And so I think each race kind of has its own, um, thing that you really value about it. Why do you, what do you attribute like being able to compete like this at 37 and I mean, still having, your best years ahead. Yeah, I I don't really know. Um, I think it's like a combination of a lot of things. Um, I think partly like I I think you can develop your aerobic endurance for a long time. Um, and you look at like someone like Kipchoge, like he's probably even like a decent amount older than on paper. You know, like oh a lot yeah, of people like 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 my daughters, like they were not. Um, born in a hospital so they don't have exact birthdays or things and but I think you can keep getting stronger aerobically like speed definitely I think it's hard to like be the fastest you've ever been at like top end speed but you can build that as long as you stay healthy and I think that's been a journey of like figuring out staying injury free for myself Um, I work with great therapists and and also doing strength training to prevent injuries and lots of preventative work. Um, I really, really try to do all the little things, um, well and, and sleep and sleep's a huge one. Um, so, so yeah, I think each year I try to like just recommit, like 
what things can I do better in those areas? And, um, and I think also just mentality wise, like I've tried to really be careful not to like say I'm old or like Mm. joke about being old. Mm -hmm. Um, when I was teammates in mammoth track club, um, like our coach said to someone, cause she was joking about being old and, and he's like, Hey, don't say that. Like when, once you start saying that you start the clock mm. on yourself. And, uh, that at the time I was only like 23 or something, <laughs> but like, it, it just like stuck with me that like our words are powerful, you know, and kind of what you're speaking over yourself has an impact. And so I've tried to just be like, yeah, I'm 37, but like, when I'm at my kid's school, they think I'm a student and like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to treat myself like I'm old. Like I, nothing about me feels old. Like I'm recovering better than I ever have. Like, I'm just like, I'm not going to usher that in any earlier than it needs to be, you know? Yeah. That's so good. Uh, are you guys, when you strength train, do you guys do that at home? Do you have a gym at home? We do. Yeah. Um, I, I sometimes do that there. Sometimes at a gym, um, definitely with COVID. It's been mostly at home, though. Yeah. What was Molly Seidel, that picture where she's, like, grabbing your face, what was she saying to you? Do you remember? Um, She was, like, oh, my gosh, did you get second? Like, <laughs> just kind of freaking out because I think there were some speakers on the loop. So I'm guessing she could hear uh, them announcing that, like, uh-huh. as she was finishing the loop. Um, But... But yeah, that was fun. Um, you know, she was in Flagstaff preparing. And unfortunately, I actually I wasn't I was in Colorado. So we didn't get to overlap much. But um, but yeah, just to I, I know she was really hoping for like a big one, too. And so I felt equally as excited for her to be able to deliver like that in her second marathon um, was really, really remarkable. So um, so I think it was kind of like both excitement and relief on both of our parts. Yeah. Um, what did you do after the race? I mean, how much longer were you in London? Did you come straight home? We left the next day, but um, thankfully they did have like a bit of a banquet for us, mm. like distanced as usual, but uh-huh. a little break from our like cafeteria thing. But we ha- we did go straight back to the hotel because part of the stipulations were like we weren't really allowed like anywhere in England. Um like besides the hotel. So we had to <laughs> keep staying, staying in the bubble up till the, the airport the next day. I mean, what a weird experience. I mean, even a year ago, can you believe that? Like we would have never believed that this was a reality. Yeah, totally. It's, it's, uh, it's funny because straight from the trials, I took my kids to Harry Potter world ah. and it was like, I had like not even heard of COVID until the pre-race press conference there. And everyone's like, do you think the Olympics are going to get canceled? And I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) and, and so, um, yeah, we were at Harry Potter world and it was packed and we're all touching the Uh bars and the, like the rides. And I'm like, I cannot believe we did that now. Like life has just changed so much, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, coming back from the trials, it was like, I can't even, you look two weeks later, I can't even believe that the trials even happened. I know. Yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago for sure. Yeah, and when I go and and just when you go places, it's like you see everybody in masks. It's like I feel like a year ago I would have been like, "What is this? The apocalypse? Like, what is happening?" You just, but yeah. now it's just normal. It's just life. Yeah, totally. It's so crazy. Um, yeah, I know. I think yeah, going on longer than I think we all hoped, but I think you find your new normal and you try to adapt, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. What's your biggest takeaway from, from the race, from the big PR, the second place, all the things? Yeah, I think just, um, 
I don't know. I really hope that people that have followed my journey can just get some inspiration from that in their own life that like it's worth it to keep plugging away at the things that are in your heart, you know, and um, and not be uh, like not let disappointment have the final word, you know, to like keep picking yourself back up. And even when it's inconvenient, even when it's hard with motivation, um, that if you do, if you are able to to find the joy in what you're doing and enjoy the process because it's not just about the end result, right? Like mm-hmm. it can't be about just that, but if you can um, really find the joy in, in where you're at, like, and pursue these things, even when it's inconvenient that it's worth it. And like, there'll be a moment where you see it kind of all come together. And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how this felt for me. I love that so much. I think it's such an important message. What do you think it is? Like, are there ever days when you don't find the joy? I feel like you're the most joyful training person ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I definitely, I definitely lose it at times. And, you know, honestly, the trials is something that I still am not like totally over. Uh-huh. Like, I think I still am like a bit heartbroken about it. And I think about it a lot. And, yeah. um, and so I, and I, I think that's like, partly stuff I need to work through, but also partly just, that's just how it is sometimes when you really care about something and you grieve it and you go through stages of, of grief with that. And, um, and so I think, but hopefully like can show people like, even when you are heartbroken about something, like don't let it keep you from the other opportunities that could be out there. That's good. What a message. That's awesome. Can you imagine, are you like, how do you feel about, um, competing on it for the track trials like how long has it been since you gave that a go yeah it's been a while um the last time I raced on the track was the 2016 track trials so um it definitely has not been my focus um you know at the same time I've, I have seen a lot of growth in my adult, like track workouts um in, even in the middle of marathon training so to me that's encouraging and um and I've been closing my the second 10k of my half marathons pretty close to a standard pace for 10k so um so that's encouraging that I I think I could run the a standard but but that's just the beginning in the U.S. you know it's like we're so deep in every event um that yeah that the standard is just a start but um but yeah I think this year especially with COVID has just taught me like just to take advantage of whatever opportunities are in front of you. Like don't look backwards to the ones you missed, but like what do you have available now that you can like throw yourself into? And for me at one point that was racing on a treadmill and then it was Mm -hmm. a time trial, but then it eventually became London. And like, if you're faithful with the things in front of you, um, hopefully that leads to like good things. I love that. Okay. I saw your name on the start list for the marathon project. That's exciting. (laughs) Yeah. So that's the next, next opportunity in front of me, as I was saying. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for that opportunity to, to be in a different kind of race than London was, um, more of maybe like a paced race, hopefully. And, um, and try to get, have opportunity to run faster than I ran in London. If I feel good. Wow. Is that, is the course that they've designed? Is it, um, a fast, friendly course? Yeah, I think it has potential to be fast. I ran a little bit of it. Um, and there are like 12 roundabouts, I think in the course, maybe more. Okay. So that's, um, a bit of a momentum breaker, but 
Um, but it's, it's relatively flat, just like gradual ups and downs, um, that kind of ebb and flow. So I, you know, it's hard to know without really training on it or racing on it yet, but, um, but I think it, it does have the potential and, and hopefully it should be nice weather in uh, Phoenix that time of year. Okay. I have to wonder though, with that, the group that you're racing with, um, 222, like breaking 222 is a lot faster than most of the people that are racing. So do they have pacers? Do you know, are there pacers? Uh, yeah, I think they're working on that right now. And, um, I would guess there'd probably be some girls wanting to, to take a stab at that pace too. Um, yeah. American marathoning is like amazing right now. It's never been better. So, um, a lot of the, the best girls are out there. So I think I'll definitely not be as, as alone as I was in London. That's true. You, if you, if you could do London and, and what you did in London, even if you run some of this alone. Yeah. And it'll be on home turf, pretty close to home and how exciting. So what, what's your, what's the week difference between London and this one? And, and are you said you recovered for a little bit, but you're already training again. So what does that cycle then look like? Yeah. Um, it's kind of different every time. Like I've done the quick turnaround thing a few times now, and that's more about kind of like just maintaining your fitness, not trying to gain fitness. Um, and when I ran like the US 10 mile the week after Berlin or, and then, you know, continued on to New York city marathon and things like that. Um, but this is enough time where I felt like I had some time to like go backwards before trying to go forwards. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I definitely took a little more time to recover, um, for this one, even though I felt like I was, I, I came off at the best of any marathon yet. So, um, I, I was kind of antsy to get back into it, but I haven't done any like really hard running yet. Um, and just kind of watching like my resting heart rate and stuff to see kind of when everything returns to normal before really, um, stressing my body as like I would normally in training. Oh, it's so exciting. Um, Sarah, before we go, because, you know, I've asked you this before on the podcast, but you've probably read so many books since then. I love to find out what the best, most recent books my listeners are, are reading are. Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I read a really good one by, um, my pastor from reading Bill Johnson that I really, really loved. And I felt like I just gained so much for just in my mentality for London, but it's called born for significance, mm. master the purpose process and peril of promotion. Um, and yeah, it just, it just kind of reminded me how, like how we're all called to do significant things, but like, what is the right heart posture when you're going after that, you know, and it's not, not making it about self-promotion, but like, how can I like serve other people and benefit other people through, um, through what I do. And even if I do reach like and promoted in ways or whatever. And so I think that really, like, I tried to think about that with London as, as this was like a big moment for me of how I can, um, not just be like, look at these pictures where mm -hmm. I look good, but like, like, <laughs> what can I say that are going to like actually benefit other people? Yeah, I think that's so good. And I, I, I think people hear your message loud and clear too. There's, there's just so much people can take away from that performance and, and what, you know, like applying it to their own life, whatever goals that they are chasing. So I love that. I love that so much. Oh, thanks. Okay, Sarah. Well, I, um, I possibly might 
do media stuff at the Marathon Project. Oh, cool. So, yeah. That's great. Might get to say hi from a distance. We'll see. Yeah, I hope I see you there. Uh, best of luck in your build. And yeah, just enjoy enjoy the moment. So congratulations. So happy for you. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. Okay. Bye, Sarah. Bye. All right, friends. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Sarah, for coming on the podcast. Always a joy to talk to you. And we are cheering for you for the Marathon Project. You all can find Sarah on Instagram. She is Sarah Hall 3 over there. You can find me on Instagram. I am lindsayhine626. You can find me on Twitter at lindsayhine. And you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine. Thank you so much for being here today. We've got a fun episode next week with Sinclair Johnson on the podcast. Can't wait to share that with you. Have a great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And if you check out the Parenting Podcast, why is everyone yelling? I'll see you Tuesday. Otherwise, I will plan to see you next Friday.